The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, September 8th, 2023. We're just plowing through the year, heading the 2024 presidential showdown. Uh, this headline, uh, this my wife sent this to me. Shout out to my wife. Uh <laughs> And uh, she said, you won't believe this. She didn't even read the story. She just read the headline and she sent it to me. It was last night. I immediately sent it to my distinguished guest who's uh, waiting uh, on the deck. Uh, I'll just read you the headline. It's from NBC News. Uh, Republicans are trying to find a new term for pro-life to stave off more electoral losses. If anything, if anything indicates the utter... What's the word? Absurdity, I guess, of the Republicans' position on abortion. It is that headline. Guys, you think it's the phraseology that's got you in trouble? It's the policy. (laughs) Hey, if we change the name, we can win them over. We can get those swing voters back. They're not that bright. Actually, as I always point out, I always used to say, that the greatest contempt for the voters I've ever seen was that exhibited by Chicago Democrats like Rahm Emanuel toward the electorate of the city of Chicago. Rahm thought the, the voters of Chicago were so stupid that all you had to do was put a sweater on and they would completely forget what a jerk you'd been in those first four years of office as mayor and they would instantly vote for him. And I laughed. I go, oh, oh. Voters of Chicago are far more sophisticated than that. And guess what? It worked. <laughs> Rom was right. You guys are dumb. <laughs> so Rom was right. But compared <laughs> to how Republicans treat their voters, Rom had nothing but love and respect for the intelligence of Chicagoans. Because, man, MAGA leaders treat MAGA voters like they're idiots. All right. I could go on further and further, but my distinguished guest is really eager to take a swing at this pinata. So without further ado, distinguished guest, introduce yourself and jump right in. Take it away. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. I'm David Ferris, Associate Professor of Political Science at Roosevelt University, the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, and columnist at Newsweek. Um, And uh, I don't know, Ben, I'm actually starting to think that Republicans' contempt for their own voters is justifiable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, just based on some of the choices that they seem to be about to make uh, in, in in the primaries, you know, uh, they're like, um, you know, they're like late stage addicts here who can't stop, uh, can't stop mainlining Trump. So um, I can't blame them necessarily for, for treating their own voters with, with contempt. It's the rest of us that they need to wise up about a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so well, let's just think about that. Um, so the Republican Party. Before, for the last, gosh, 10 years at least, has 
dedicated itself to uh, the eradication of abortion rights in this country. They've turned their party over to the most uh, zealous anti-abortion activist uh, that MAGA has. There are no, as far as I, I can figure, anything resembling a pro-choice, a significant pro-choice voice in the Republican Party anymore. Uh, they have allowed one state after another uh, to pass the most extreme laws, anti-abortion laws you can imagine, so that the case in Ohio of the 10-year-old girl who was raped and had to go to Indiana to have an abortion, uh, and now it would be le- illegal in Indiana probably, so I don't, she'd have to come to Chicago to have an abortion. The case in Mississippi where the girl had the baby because she, the closest place to get an abortion was Chicago from Clarksdale, Mississippi, on and on and on and on. The Repub- uh, when uh, Dobbs' decision came down and left things up to the states, there was essentially a revolt at the polls where uh, pro-choice voters said, no, you've gone too far. Independents, even some Republicans have said they've gone too far. Republicans realize this, but they don't want to admit it. And so they're talking about changing the phraseology they employ. I, there's a level of madness here. Uh, the, the Republican Party seems incapable. No, strikes teams is incapable of reflection, David. They can't say, oh, my God, we've gone too far. We've cut ourselves off. We've painted ourselves into a corner. We don't even believe this nonsense we're spouting. And yet we continue to spout it. Do you think there's any end to this? Do you think like this is a serious attempt to address their issues with voters with abortion by changing the phraseology or are they just kidding themselves? I mean, of course they're just kidding themselves. <laughs> it's, it's just cosmetic, right? They're not changing any of the actual policy positions. Um, and so the, you know, they want to go from pro-life, which doesn't pull well anymore to pro-baby, which is laughable. Um, <clears throat> you know, it says someone who just had a baby. Um, if I lived in a pro-baby country, it wouldn't cost like 12 grand to out of pocket to bring a healthy baby into the world. And there'd be like subsidized daycare and subsidized pre-K. Like life would just be a lot easier for people with babies as opposed to forcing people to have them, right? Which is the, which is the whole point of these policies. Um, And they can't at this point, having gutted Roe v. Wade um, and uh, overseen the banning of abortion in like half the states in the country, then walk it back rhetorically and say like this isn't pro life stuff. This is this is pro baby stuff. You know like, that might fly on the uh, like in a debate between the Republican candidates, um, but it's not it's not gonna it's not gonna hold water with with the rest of us because the rest of us know perfectly well at this point what happened um, in twenty twenty two. We know whose fault it was. We know which Supreme Court justices did it, um, and there's nothing the Republican Party can do. Um, to reverse that damage unless they moderate their own policies and in some capacity um, and endorse a less draconian reproductive rights regime in in red states across the country and stop talking about a national abortion ban, things like that. You know, changing the name of the, you know, the ideology uh, that wants to force people to have babies. It's like if they were like, oh, um, Dobbs pulls badly now. Um, maybe we should run another lawsuit up the Supreme Court, uh, but the person has to be named like MacGyver or Seinfeld or something so, and like do it in like the, the state with the least popular Democratic governor or something, you know, um, MacGyver versus Raimondo, right? Like um, something that people are like Seinfeld. I like Seinfeld. You know, that's what a great idea. Like that's going to fool anybody, you know? <laughs> um, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to be like really really bleak, but like if, if you are harmed because of these policies, you know, um, and like you can't get an abortion um, and something terrible happens and somebody's like, don't worry, you know, uh, you're not suffering because of pro-life policies. You're suffering because of pro-baby policies. Right. Um, and it becomes immediately apparent to anyone who has a child in America, like the second after you give birth, no one cares about the woman anymore. Right. Not one bit. You're just like, uh, you know, you give birth and then the doctors are like, is the baby okay? Great. Um, what about the vessel over there? Can somebody stitch her up? You know what I mean? It's like, it's very cold. You feel it the second you're in the hospital. You're like, wow, this is really intense. Um, and um, people aren't stupid. You know, I mean, they are susceptible to framing language. 
I'm, I'm not going to deny that. Um, and if Republicans had been spending the last 40 years talking about their pro-baby policies um, and then enacting them, <clears throat> it would be a different story. But like, I, I do think that they could make a little bit of headway um, with their abortion problem if they actually got behind pro-baby and pro-child policies in, in the red states where they've enacted these policies um, and made life easier for, for people who have children, right? But you are being forced to carry a baby to term and then it's America. It's like, well, yeah, you're on your own. I hope you can afford a car seat. It's like $400 and, and it's like incredibly expensive to have a child now um, in, in part because of some, some changes we've made to make things safer um, for, for babies and children. But the, but the reality for parents is that like, you know, you're looking at $500,000 over the course of those 18 years. Um, <clears throat> and so if they really wanted to be pro-baby, you could make that less. Right? Like people just need money to help raise their kids. Um, and that would actually at least be ideologically consistent, right? They're like, we don't believe in abortion. It's a, a crime against God's will. I don't really know how these people talk about it. Um, it's, it's a violation of my religious principles. But after... <laughs> After I take away your reproductive rights and force you to carry a baby to term, at least we'll be there with like a free car seat, right? Or something. Uh, or you can send your kid to daycare for, for a third of what it used to cost or, uh, you know, hire someone for help in the house if you stay at home or whatever. There's there's a lot of ways that they could tap into uh, a thirst for help from the parents of young children. Um, and I think uh, a, a set of policies that pull well. Um you know, universal child care polls very well. Um, things like the child tax credit poll well. But uh, I, maybe I missed something, Ben, but I don't feel like Republicans in Congress are talking about any of this stuff, are they? No, they, they, uh, I mean, the joke of it is there's so many jokes in this story. Uh, so I think it was Barney Frank, uh, who wisecracked years ago that uh, Republicans uh, care about. Uh, the fetus, but as soon as the baby's born, it's it's all over. They don't care about no. They care about life as long as in the womb. I know it just totally destroyed the great quip that he did. I humbly apologize, Congressman Bernie Frank. The point is, they don't give a damn about the actual baby, much less the woman. Yeah, you're absolutely correct, or the mother. Uh, you're on your own, kid, and it's a tough world out there, and it's good for you if you survive. You'll be better for it, and that's been their attitude. So. To call to to try to <laughs> to try to head off this uh, election disaster they're facing because of their insane cult attitude on this issue by changing their name of their movement from pro life to pro baby is hilarious. They are the most anti baby party in a. In America, I think the libertarians may be more have more consideration about the. I don't know. I got to look and see the libertarian uh, attitude. I think the libertarians maybe believe in abortion rights, uh, so they are probably more pro baby than MAGA. MAGA is absolutely cruel. Everything you said, they've opposed. Y you know, it's every initiative you're talking about that would help a baby. <laughs> they oppose. <laughs> so how can you say you're pro baby? And, um, yeah, I, uh, and I gotta get you to, I don't think we talked about this the last time, you know, we took the deep dive on the Republican, um, uh, debate that took place a couple weeks ago. Nikki Haley was given, they cheered Nikki Haley, the former uh, governor of South Carolina, running for president, because she said something more or less that was a deviation from the MAGA line on abortion. Uh, and, but it was the ultimate message of what she's saying, David, was no different than the others. Again, you got to think the voters are idiotic that they, she didn't say, I support the rights of women to have an abortion if they're raped, or I support the right of women to get an abortion if there's incest or not, or she didn't, or even life in danger. She just said, what we should have. We shouldn't be so contemptuous of women who want to get an abortion. Like, how is that in any way a meaningful policy change? How is that any way different than ultimately Mike Pence's attitude about the issue? They can't deal with this on any way. 
David, it's like it's a parallel to their attitude toward Trump. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's like, um, yes, you know, we want to force people to carry babies to term, but um, uh, we don't want to track their menstrual cycles. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, well, I mean, like, I want to distinguish myself here from the craziest stuff that my colleagues are doing here. Like, we don't want to put bounties. <laughs> we don't want to put bounties on people for crossing state lines, right? Like, I'm a moderate. I believe in the elimination of all reproductive rights, but I don't believe in putting women in prison for too long, you know, <laughs> for too long. get their feet wet in there. Right. But, uh, but not forever. I mean, I, you know, we laugh, but it's like, it is, it is grim out there in the, in the red States in terms of, uh, if you want to end a pregnancy, man, it's, uh, it's just, we've gone back 70 years and Nikki Haley can try to massage it. And anybody, all those candidates can try to massage it if they, if they don't really believe in the maximal, position the party has taken here but the reality is the supreme court forced that position on them in a lot of ways um and the republicans who run red states are oftentimes like if this is possible crazier than national republicans um less accountable than national republicans because many of them run what are effectively single party regimes and i say that as somebody who proudly lives in a single party regime yeah. um it's just it's just the other party and i like it better but uh you know like there's not going to be any meaningful consequences for Republicans in like West Virginia for doing this. Right. Um, and so they know that they know that they can go as far um, as the law will allow them in these States. And so they have, they have gone so far behind any kind of public opinion consensus that they are now backtracking and trying to use linguistic manipulation to cover up for the, the political and moral catastrophe that is Dobbs. Um, and it's not, it's not going to work. They're, they are going to get punished again next year by the voters for what they have done. Uh, it will be front and center in this campaign. Um, Republicans will be like, but remember inflation in 2021 is really bad. Right. Um, and, and people will, will return, um, I think to what drove democratic victories in 2022, which is Republican extremism, Dobbs, um, the assault on democracy, um, and those were very powerful messages, particularly because Republicans kept nominating candidates who who were like living, breathing representations of their own extremism. Um, and there's no sign that they're going to stop doing that. So. All right. We will uh, shift gears uh, from this discussion, which I was supposed to be a brief discussion, but I could probably go on forever. And I think David could uh, as well. Uh, the utter hypocrisy of the uh, Republican Party in this issue. Uh, and um, let's talk uh, Trump and the 14th Amendment. I'll set this up by saying uh, yesterday I was um, fortunate to do a, an interview and urge everybody to check it out if you haven't already uh, with a cinematographer named Michael Cromit, uh, who uh, was the chief cinematographer for the great documentary. I don't know if you've seen this, David. Uh, unprecedented. It takes a look at the Trumps and the director is going to come on the show next week. Uh, they gave these guys complete access to the Trumps for the, the when I say Trumps, I'm talking, I'm not just talking about Donald, the president, I'm talking Ivanka, Eric, baby Trump, Donnie Jr., um, Jared Kushner. Uh, and then, uh, so the, 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 the documentaries about the last year, or excuse me, the reelect, the last year of the Trump presidency, the, and the, the, the reelection, uh, campaign. And then it, it goes on to cover January 6th, and Michael Cromit was uh, at the insurrection with a camera right in the heart of it. Incredible footage. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, David. Some of the footage became uh, a political issue because the House uh, Investigation Committee that was looking into January 6th subpoenaed it, and the director came and testified, et cetera, and so forth. Anyway, uh, but really took a deep dive uh, yesterday into a, what happened on January 6th with Michael Cromit, who was literally there on the steps, like tear gas in his eyes, elbows in his face, MAGA people threatening to kill him, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, fascinating stuff. He took us through it from A to Z. Uh, and it just doubled down in my mind that we have lived through an attempted coup. This was an attempted coup. <laughs> And the man who attempted the coup is now probably going to be the Republican nominee to run for the office. He tried to steal. Uh, it's like, wow, this country is determined never to learn anything. And um, 
that was on my mind when I read your essay about the 14th Amendment and the movement uh, or the suggestion coming from conservative uh, law professors, we've talked about this in the show before, uh, to deny Trump uh, a ballot position because he participated in an insurrection. Uh, <laughs> seems pretty obvious to me, uh, David. Why don't you just uh, uh, take the deep dive a little bit and explain to people uh, all the different uh, intricacies in this uh, story? Sure. Um, this touches on a little bit of a hobby horse of mine, <clears throat> which is that um, the amendments to the Constitution that came after the Bill of Rights are also part of the United States Constitution. <laughs> okay. In the same way that anything else in the Constitution is part of the U.S. Constitution. We don't actually treat it that way very frequently. Um, we treat them like these like added on things that were put in for context at the time, um, but we don't, we don't revere them in the same way. Uh, and I, I think the 14th Amendment is very much deserving of reverence uh, because it, uh, of course, went a long way could have gone a much longer way, but went a long way towards rectifying the worst compromise made at the constitutional convention, which was allowing slavery to persist um, in the American South. And there's parts of the 14th Amendment, 14th Amendment that no one knows much about and aren't taught much about. Um, Trump has been a real master at illuminating little dark corners of the constitution <laughs> Remember when we, had, we spent like a year talking about the 25th Amendment um, for removing the president? No one had ever, ever, ever talked about this amendment since it was passed until this dingling comes along and is so incompetent and so insane that people are like, what's another way we can get rid of him? Right? Like, um, and they're like, oh, wait, it's here. It's in the Constitution. Fantastic. So the 14th Amendment, of course, um, is the one that grants citizenship to uh, formerly enslaved peoples in the United States. Um and, and levy certain penalties against uh, depriving them of the right to vote. Um, and, and, and had the United States remained committed to the 14th Amendment as it is written, they could have prevented former Confederates from, from retaking power in the U.S. South and then <clears throat> imposing 100 years of, uh, of tyranny, um, really violent authoritarian tyranny that, that persisted in the American South. I'm not saying we were like, uh, you know, uh, pinnacles of justice up here in the North Bend, but... Uh, <laughs> But it was worth it was worse in the South. Um, and that that um, Jim Crow situation persisted for another hundred years that um, if the language of the 14th Amendment had simply been applied as it was written, we could have avoided these things. Um, and it just so happens that uh, after you get past um, the first two sections, which I think most people are familiar with, um, there are two sections with which people are, are less familiar. Um, section four prohibits anyone from questioning the public, the validity of the public debt of the United States. I think we talked about this before um, in the context of the debt ceiling. Okay, the debt ceiling statute is unconstitutional. Like uh, holding the debt hostage um, because of that statute is unconstitutional. And simply like no one, including the Biden administration, has been willing to go out and say, like, look, the 14th Amendment explicitly prohibits all of this stuff. Because we don't treat the 14th Amendment in the same way that we treat the First Amendment, and we don't treat it in the same way with the that we treat the Second Amendment. And the 14th Amendment has the has the real advantage of being well-written, <clears throat> unlike the Second Amendment, which does sound like it was written by Chat, Chat GPT, right? Um, doesn't make any sense. It's grammatically incorrect. It's stupid. Um, and it's been misinterpreted. But we are all forced to, like... Uh, pay obeisance to it like it's the law of God. <clears throat> All of that is a little bit of a wind-up um, for you to go, like, just pull up the Constitution, okay? Uh, pull up the Section 3, Amendment 14. Can I just read it in full? I feel like, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Do it. <laughs> no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may by a vote of two thirds of each house remove such a disability. Um, and Congress did in fact do that in 1872 so that all these like scumbag Confederates who betrayed their country could then get reelected across the American South again. But the, um, the language is not ambiguous, right? It's like if you have held any of these many offices um, and then you engage in an insurrection or rebellion or you give aid or comfort 
to the people who did, you can never hold those offices again. Right. Um, now it doesn't really say how that provision is to be enforced. It kind of says like, well, Congress is supposed to do that. Right. Um, but the, but the language itself is so, is so unambiguous as to be unchallengeable. If someone, if we have, if we have agreed that someone committed insurrection or like gave aid or comfort, I don't know what that means, like a back rub or, you know, like sent encouraging texts, emojis, you know, a smiley face to the shaman who occupied Nancy Pelosi's office. Uh, I don't know. But it's pretty clear that Donald Trump, having organized a conspiracy to interrupt the peaceful transfer of power in the United States for the first time in our history, um, I guess that depends on how you look at 1860, 1861. <laughs> right? But Lincoln took office. They were just like, we're out of here, right? Um, you're going to have Lincoln, but we're going to make another country. Um, they didn't actually, you know, they didn't really try to stop Lincoln from becoming president per se. Uh, so Trump is the first person in American history to have lost an election and then to try to stay in power by illicit means, by illegitimate means. And then he whipped his dumb followers up um, in D.C. on January 6th and then Look, did he say the words, go sack the Capitol? No. Right. Did he say, go hunt Nancy Pelosi? No. Um, but it's pretty clear that they were acting in some way at his behest. And what makes it unambiguous to me that he violated the statute is that he sat on his butt for four hours while this was happening and refused to call in the law enforcement and National Guard resources that they needed to, to put down the rebellion itself. And he then spent the next two years um, glorifying the January 6th protesters or, and or claiming that they were part of the deep state or, you know, whatever this weird conspiracy is. So to me, aid and comfort, unquestionably, right? Did he himself take part in a rebellion or an insurrection? I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit debatable, right? But I think it could stand up in court. In any case, there's no question in my mind um, that by the language of the 14th Amendment, which again, I can't emphasize enough, is as much of the U.S. part is as much a part of the U.S. Constitution and has as much force of law as the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and the Tenth Amendment. There's no question that he violated it, my mind, none at all, and that he he should not be allowed to run for president ever again or dog catcher in in Poughkeepsie. You know, it doesn't matter either of these offices. He should not be allowed to hold. Hates dogs anyway. I think right, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But just the thought of Donald Trump running for dog catcher, and and it's. It, just like people running for dog catcher in general. <laughs> anyway, you're on a like office. I think it's just a saying. It is a saying. I know. I, I, He's I, not good enough to. <laughs> I've never voted for dog catcher uh, personally. So I, I've never been in a lot of elections. I've never seen the choice. Not that I wouldn't participate in such an election, uh, but you're on a, you're a great role. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but go ahead. Continue. No, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, so that's the context of the 14th amendment. Um, and it actually, there's two groups of people that have kind of put this on the public radar. And to me, it's happened very quickly. You know, um, one, there was a group um, in Colorado that, that has sued um, to get Donald Trump off the Colorado ballot. Um, there was a similar effort in Arizona that the Arizona high court swatted away. It was like, you can't do that. Um, but I think the fuel to the fire was added when these two sort of eminent originalist, you know, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas, like conservatives, um, wrote a, a law review article. I don't actually know if it's been published or if it's been passed around as a draft, but the, um, the university of Pennsylvania law review outlining why they think not only is it legally correct that Donald Trump be barred from the ballot, but that the 14th amendment is what they call self-executing. Um, which means that anyone who is, who was tasked with judging, um, someone's ability to run for office has the right to be like 14th amendment you're out you know um now they're not idiots right they know it's going to end up in in court um but their position is that uh if the secretary of state of like uh wisconsin said like uh, after a close reading of the 14th amendment i don't believe that donald trump should be able to stand for president and takes him off the ballot he thinks that they think that's the right thing to do uh, according to the law uh now i'm not gonna lie to you it's a, it's a 126 page law review article. So if you really want to take a deep dive into their thinking, uh, you know, take, take some amphetamines cause you're going to fall asleep. Um, and, uh, 
but the, but but that's the takeaway, right? Is these two people who are not on our team in terms of like how we view the U.S. Constitution believe that this is the right thing to do, and it it gave it kind of gave new life to the movement to try this in various states. Um, and while I I'm not convinced ultimately that it will work, the headline on that article is, goes goes a little bit further than I did in the piece, but. Um, I'm not sure it'll work, but I actually really think it's worth the effort um, because I'm a I'm a 14th Amendment stan. You know, like I'm really into it. Like I want to go look at the print it out. <laughs> a 14th Amendment stan. <laughs> I'm an Eminem fan. I ship um, America in the 14th Amendment. You know, uh, so uh, so that's the story. I mean, that's so that's what's in the that's what's in the headlines. But people and there's going to be a lot of talk about disqualifying Trump from the ballot in the coming weeks, and uh, yeah, and so that's what it's all about. And it's like, you can read the 14th Amendment yourself in three minutes. Um, it's very short. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty unambiguous, personally. I, I am trying to reach out to um, uh, one of the law professors who's here from the University of Chicago to bring him on the show. It's a long shot to put it mildly, because uh, we are not from the same political universe that David was getting at. Uh, he's on the right, I'm on the left. Uh, but uh, I find it fascinating. So uh, I will read the entire essay. Uh, uh, I'm going to read it anyway. I've read, just read about it, uh, but I've made this pledge. I will read it. I want to see what the argument is. Um, I have dealt with stuff, issues like this for years in Chicago, uh, David. And let me explain. So ballot access is always a contentious issue in the city of Chicago. There are all kinds of rules and regulations that govern whether a candidate could be placed on the ballot. Some things are like, did you get the right number of signatures? We have all the, and it make, they make it as difficult as they can in Chicago. So it, let's say you need 100 signatures to make the ballot. Well, they have to be good signatures. You can't print your name. If you print your name, that signature's gone. If, they, if you have, from a, you had 100 signatures, now you're down to 99, you're off the ballot. If you put the wrong address in, uh, you're off the bat. If the person who went around and collected the signatures put his name on the wrong line, if he signed his name on the wrong line, the entire sheet is is disqualified. So 20 signatures can be kicked off. There's a whole cottage industry in the city of Chicago, in the county of Cook. I've talked about it many times. I've written about it many times. Dedicated to kicking candidates off the ballot or allowing them to stay on the ballot. There's lawyers who make a good living at it. Many of them come on this show. I see what Adolfo Mondragon uh, and explain the technicalities of this stuff. And uh, it's fascinating. I urge everybody, check out Steve James' documentary uh, about the city of Chicago where it gets into city so real it gets in the, <clears throat> into the battle between uh, Willie Wilson's forces and Jamal Green as to whether Jamal Green had the n- right number of signatures to make the uh, uh, to make the ballot as a mayoral candidate. David, they almost came to blows. <clears throat> there was almost a fight uh, in the hearing room uh, over this. So this is a very ballot access is very real to me. This is a battle a ballot access issue. This is the equivalent of the city of Chicago that says if you have unpaid parking meters, uh, excuse me, if you had paid parking tickets. You can't run. So there's a, a a hearing they have to go through. Like if if David Ferris is running for alderman of the 50th Ward and he hasn't paid his parking tickets, uh, Deborah Silverstein's forces can challenge him uh, at the uh, Board of Elections. They can show that he hadn't paid his parking tickets. Good luck with your argument, David. Uh, that general attitude is... If you're going to run for office, you got to know the rules of the office you're running for. If you don't know the rules, how can you be a good <laughs> servant if you're not? A, I've dealt with this stuff for 40 years, David. So to me, this is ballot access 101. Now, the only issue is who is the judge that you go to? In Chicago, you go to the Board of Election Commissioners. And you make your case. Cook County has its own board that you go to. The state of Illinois has its own board that you go to. There's authorities that are set up to determine whether David Ferris can make the ballot. As it's just an example, he's not really running for alderman. Okay, 
Don't give me any ideas. Don't give me any ideas. Don't give I know he's thinking about that right now. <laughs> I'd love to be older, man. Um, I don't know where you would go. You know what I mean? What entity would oversee it? Uh, I guess it would be a state by state thing. Uh, I know New Hampshire, there's discussion. You mentioned uh, Colorado. There's also talk in New Hampshire. So I just don't know the procedure to follow. What if he got kicked off in like six states? You, you know what I mean? But was allowed to be in like in Georgia, like the Secretary of State has already said, I am not going to rule against Donald Trump on this. I don't abide by this. So it's messy. The application of it is not as um, obvious as it is in Illinois, but it is a clear ballot access uh, matter in my mind. Do you agree with me on that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'll just say, you know what, again, if your readers don't know, I only moved here in 2010 uh, from, from Philadelphia. And so everybody running around with their clipboards at election time, trying to get signatures, like when you're getting on the train and stuff, this was a big shock to my system. And it, and you know that you have to do it right because the people getting the signature, like when you go to sign the signature, you know, when you put your name down there, they look like, um, like they look like a chef when someone is tasting their food for the first time, you know, they're like, Oh God, Oh God. Okay. Please do it. You know, please, please sign in the right place. Um, and I always know it's election season here because I'm, you know, I get accosted on, and I, I take the Metro, uh, I get accosted on the Metro like 15 times a day, you know, and I'm, ha- I'm happy to provide those signatures because I think it's ridiculous that, that you have to gather X number of signatures to run for office. I, I don't think that's in keeping with any, uh, any defensible democratic theory. So, it is a ballot access issue, and you're right. It is. Um, it would be a huge mess to try to apply the 14th Amendment here because our election process is so decentralized. Um, <clears throat> you know, every state designs its own ballot. Uh, this is how we ended up with George W. Bush as president um, because the knuckleheads in what was it, Palm Beach, um, designed a, a crappy ballot, and a bunch of people voted for Pat Buchanan, who meant to vote for Al Gore, um, and hence the shape of the 21st century. Um, and that's all thanks to this de- decentralization. Not. It does have some good features, right? Um, you can't hack all 50 states uh, if you were to try to uh, get into the computers or, or do something nefarious. Uh, it's actually really hard um, because the system is so decentralized. But um, the what what will happen here is if <clears throat> and there there isn't a Secretary of State who has like been like, yeah, we're going to do this. Um, although I think that there will be. But let's say it's um, Pennsylvania. Okay, and the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania um, yanks Trump off the ballot in a critical swing state. That's not going to be the end of it, right? It's going to end up in court, and I think ultimately it will end up um, in front of the Supreme Court, which, of course, thirty-three point three percent of it was appointed by Donald J. Trump himself. Um, and whether they are simple enough to to just show their loyalty by allowing them to stay on the ballot, I I can't say. I mean, I know. Scalia and Thomas will vote to, to overturn any attempt to get rid of Trump on the ballot. The rest of, you know, and I know the three liberals will support it. Uh, Gorsuch, Barrett and, um, and Kavanaugh and Roberts. I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't know. And nobody knows it could work. This is an effort that actually could work, right? Like people are talking about it in the press. Like it has no chance of working. I know that if you go to my article, it says it won't work. (laughs) Um, all I said is that I think there's a significant chance that it won't work. They're like, don't put all your eggs in this basket. Um, but I think to me, it's like, it serves two purposes to pursue this line of attack against Trump. One I've already talked about, which is, I, I think the 14th amendment deserves more respect and deserves to be as applied as written. Um, and it's time to fight dirty. I talked about <clears throat> how um, we could use the 14th amendment to reduce the congressional delegations from states that engage in voter suppression. According to the clear law, the clear language of the 14th Amendment, it's right in there. But if you make any attempt to deprive um, of people with the right to vote or the right to vote, you can have your uh, your number of representatives reduced by the by the percentage of people that are excluded from voting. Okay? Um, and I think if, if, uh, if you busted just like two reps from Texas um, under the 14th Amendment, it would send an unmistakable message to Texas to like stop doing this stuff. Um, so that's one thing. <clears throat> the other is to send a message to Republican primary voters who have just, it seems like they just lost their minds. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's like, this is like, I don't know how many times this guy has to disgrace himself, um, and betray his country 
and embarrass himself and humiliate us and threaten to destroy democracy before Republican primary voters will be like, what about the governor of Florida? You know, like, what about these other 15 people that could also be our nominee? We'll get pr- pretty much the same number of votes. Um, but we have we have entered into like uh, a, a brain control cult here. Uh, they can't get away from this guy. And the message that these lawsuits would send. Um, do you know what the do you know what the acronym FAFO stands for, Ben? F? <laughs> F around and find out. OK. OK. Yeah. Um, it's like, OK. You know, I, I, we can't stop you from voting for this guy in the primary. Um, but if you want to forward him as the nominee, there's this chance that you won't have a presidential nominee in like half the states. Do you want to take that chance? Yes or no. Um, and at the end of the day, they might take the chance and they may be proved right that um, that the whole attempt to disqualify him may be swatted down. Um, but to me, just the threat and the reminder to the primary voters that like you're not just picking like Nikki Haley here. You are picking a twice impeached scoundrel who engaged in the only attempt in the last 160 years to destroy American democracy and has already promised to do it again. You want to do it? FAFO. You know, like we'll see you in court. Um, And whether it works or it doesn't work, it was sort of like to me, like impeachment, which we, I think, at least the first time we all knew would die in the Senate. But to me, it was important to stand on principle here. And there was not really a huge downside to it. So. Well, uh, it also, uh, by the way, when you did that, uh, do I know what F-A-F-O or whatever? So I've, I've, a, I've been battling dyslexia my entire life. That was a moment of crisis. You should have seen what went on in my brain. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, what were the letters again? Wait, which order were they? <laughs> it was like a moment. I'm like, don't do this to me. I suddenly had a panic attack, and I was back in my junior year of high school staring at the SAT going, ah, Ma, why do I got to take this? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Do I have to take this test? Ah, oh, sorry. Well, I'm, sorry I'm sorry, Ben. I didn't mean to scare you. <laughs> Flashback. <laughs> Do you know what it means? Wait a minute. Hold on. Slow. Give me those letters. Uh, so uh, if I could continue with my analogy and apply it to what you said. So ballot access questions uh, in Illinois, in Chicago, Cook County, et cetera, and even in Republicans, because Republicans do this as well, ladies and gentlemen. All these MAGA people, they play the same game, too. Got to have the right number of signatures. Got to have your forms filled out, blah, 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 blah. So um, it's generally the person who challenges uh, the candidate who has questionable status to, for making the ba- the ballot, the person who does that is an opponent of that candidate. That means the person who should be filing this uh, suit against Trump or this challenge against Trump is either Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy. Am I forgetting it? Did I, did I say Chris Christie already? Have I gotten them all? Tim, uh, Tim Scott. It should be a Republican candidate for the presidential nomination. That's who would do it if it was the automatic race that I just alluded to. It would be people who are affiliated with, in the case, Alderwoman Deborah Silverstein. That's the example I used because she's the one who wants David off the ballot. But this is just underscores the really twisted weirdness of the Republican primary, the Republican candidates for president have to pretend as though there's a great injustice being perpetrated against Donald Trump, even though they are quietly and secretly praying that they are the Democrats and the prosecutors are successful at battering Trump, sending him to prison, kicking him off the ballot, because that's the only chance they have to get the nomination to win. It's such a game of deceit. <laughs> you know what? So Chris Christie, here you go. You say you're against Trump. You want to save the country from Trump? File a lawsuit. Challenge his ability to be in the ballot in Texas and where else? Florida and California and Arizona. You already lost in Arizona, etc. and so forth. You follow me, David? That's who it should come from. Shouldn't have to come from some Democrat. I mean, the Democrats would be, 
I think the Democrats, the greatest advantage in this election is if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee. So why should Democrats stick their neck out to kick him off? It should be Republicans. Your thoughts? I mean, it should be. Maybe it will. The only person I could see doing this is Christy. Um, and Christy might just be like, well, everybody hates me anyway. So <laughs> why not have my name on the lawsuit? You know, Christy v. Trump. I mean, I would love for major American legal precedent to be set. But to be set by something like Christie B. Trump, but um, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, it's sort of like in the, the position of the candidates who are hoping someone else will take care of this problem for them. It's sort of like when you have a big family dinner and then someone like disappears into the bathroom for three hours um, and hopes that when they get out, the dishes have been done. Um, <laughs> you know, and they're like, "Where's?" I know a few people like that. Yeah, yeah. where is Steve? Anyway, I don't. I don't know. I guess we better do the dishes. And he comes up and he's like, "I meant to help." I really, yeah. I, can I, is there anything I can do? Are there any dishes left? You know? Um, and yeah, they want Democrats to, to do this for them. I mean, Biden could do it, right? Um, I mean, if, if, if the Biden administration wanted to, 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 have dis, to have Trump disqualified from the ballot, they could also sue. Um, but as we've, as we've talked about a number of times, Biden doesn't seem to want to touch Trump's treason with like a 10-foot pole, um, which is a huge mystery to me. Why? I mean, I can see the argument for how Trump is a better candidate to run against, although I've seen a few polls recently that don't necessarily line up with that either. But um, but his, you know, his thing is like he's not going to talk about uh, the trials against Trump. He's not going to talk about um, the insurrection. He's not going to talk about um, whether Trump is uh, is fit to be president, like legally and constitutionally. Uh, It's just a mystery to me. I mean, it's such a layup. Um, what Trump did was unpopular. The insurrection was unpopular. A majority of Americans think um, that something terrible happened on January 6th. I mean, it's, there's, there's just no downside to, to enlisting himself in this effort unless, he really, unless Trump is the guy that he wants. Um, and to be honest with you, I, you remember the big, you know, the big story that came out in 2016 when Trump clinched the nomination? And the, it was like, this is, who, this is who Clinton wanted. It's like, well... <laughs> How did that go? You know, so uh, as much as I do, I do think in theory that he's a weaker candidate than a bunch of the other candidates. I, I you know, I would take it if the Supreme Court was like, this dude can never run again. I, I think that's a W for us. Um, and not just because of if his odious nature and his unique threat to American democracy, but just like a message it would send to other Republicans to like, hey, maybe stop trying to steal elections. Um, maybe stop betraying your country. Maybe start, you know, stop rooting against the women's soccer team, you losers. I mean, it's just like, again, standing on principle. So I would I would favor Biden getting involved in this, but uh, I'm not I'm not holding my breath. Well, no, he won't. And it's um, yeah, it is baffling and it gets at the different ways that Democrats and Republicans approach an election. Uh, just imagine if you could. If <laughs> it just can't even imagine a world where there's a, a Democrat this prominent. Uh, this highly regarded by his party who had just committed just a a quarter of the crimes uh, that Trump did and how the Republicans would be wailing. I just, you just can't imagine it. Uh, but uh, the, 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 again, the Republicans are very successfully manipulated the, the Democrats with the playing uh, the, the ref strategy. We've talked about that so much in this show. Uh, and so now the, the Democrats just, they, the Republicans are howling. It's a political insurrection. I mean, it's a political witch hunt. They're picking on us. Uh, so Democrats, to quote unquote, prove to the Republicans that it's not a political witch hunt, uh, are not going to take advantage of <laughs> the obvious political advantage that they have. They are a weird party in their own way, uh, David. They remain uh, dedicated to this notion that we. Well, I'm just speaking David Ferris to David Ferris, that that we have uh, a bipartisan uh, environment. And uh, so, yeah, it's always uh, they're always going to squander their advantage. And and Republicans will always be able to say stuff that Democrats can't say. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Trump went to D.C. and was like this filthy hellhole, Um, like a place that he's like ostensibly trying to become, you know, like Uber mayor of D.C., can you imagine a Democrat going into like some rural county and being like, ladies and gentlemen, I've gathered you here in this meth ridden hellhole. 
uh, a place that I wouldn't raise chickens, let alone a child. You know what I mean? Like, can you imagine the press cycle if any Democrat did that? They are still talking about Obama's one comment about like people, bitter people clinging to guns and religion. That was like 15 years ago. Um, and if a Democrat went out and just smeared people that might vote for them in that way, smeared their fellow citizens and smeared the places that they live, they would be run out of town. But somehow Republicans are allowed to just like run around and being like shitties are, sorry, that was a real Freudian slip. Cities are, are just the worst places on earth. You know, these urban hellholes. It's just like, that's how they talk about us now. It really gets old, honestly. Um, so anyway, well, I'm hoping, uh, Chris Christie is a regular listener to this show, uh, that he hears us and files suit or challenges, uh, whatever, whatever the mechanism is. I don't know what the official, uh, mechanism is. Uh, it, uh, you know, I mean, I guess, uh, here in Illinois, I guess it goes state by state. So, um, you file right here in Illinois, you challenge Donald Trump's, uh, ballot access on the grounds that uh, he violated the 14th amendment, or it's a violation of the 14th amendment to ha- allow him. Do the same in Michigan. Do the same uh, throughout the country in as many states as you can. And then, uh, and then you know, the sobbing from Donald Trump and MAGA. Oh, they're picking on us, the witch hunt. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, we have run out of time, so I didn't even get a chance to talk about the fact that uh, Nancy Pelosi, I just got the text, uh, is going to run again. Uh, so I guess we'll do, dedicate a show to uh, ancient politicians, uh, David McConnell, Pelosi, Biden, Trump. I mean, uh, yeah, Feinstein. Can I can I tell you one thing that um, if your listeners want to have a laugh, uh, the and it's okay. I'm I'm only endorsing this because because these idiots won't leave office, not because of inherent ageism. Okay, but um, there is the funniest thing I've read in years is uh, in the Onion right now. It's a point counterpoint between Mitch McConnell and Diane Feinstein. Um, and it's just like gibberish, you know, (laughs) I I haven't laughed that loud in a long time. Like I was laughing so hard. I was crying and it's not, (laughs) it's not because I hate old people. I just don't think people who are cognitively not there should be our representatives. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I know it's, uh, (laughs) on the other hand, oh my God, it's just uh, the headline. I, I didn't even read the story. I think I can't remember this this like weds two of our favorite things the absurdity of the New York Times headlines, so the, <laughs> the New York Times is such a, like a self parody, but um, the headline was something like Democrats very concerned that McConnell may be bounced uh, as uh, leader of the Republicans in the Senate because even though he's senile, he, they can still deal with him. I'm like what. <laughs> Mitch McConnell is more to our democracy than like anyone on the face of the earth, man. And it's like, oh yeah, we're so worried about that. Yeah, it's like, wow. <laughs> New York Times always looking for always looking for that cloud there uh in the sky. All right, uh David Ferris, thank you so much. Uh and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. Sounds great, Ben. Always a pleasure. We'll see you next time. All right, that's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. 